welcome to The Drop, our severance episode. We are here today with production designer, Jeremy Hindle. Welcome. Thank you for being on. Thanks for having me. When you read this script, where, I mean, you got to set a tone, you got to paint a picture, obviously in collaboration with people, but where did your mind start going once you started looking at the scripts? You know, when I first read it, I was terrified because I was an office show. Um, Actually, when I was first pitched the idea, like it's a show set in an office and I'm, I was like, wow, what do we do with an office? And then when I read it, it was really, um, I mean, it's it's a very Twin Peaksy. Like it had a thing that was, no one knew what the tone was. And it was, I was like, wow, this is going to be really tricky. Um, but it had a Twin Peaks. It had a thing that just so jumped at me. Like I was so excited about it. And I, so I read them and I did a really quick lookbook for Ben. Like I was going to meet him two days later to just talk about how I kind of like just instinctively felt the show. And there was a lot of reference, like some, some Fargo. Um, it was some images were at the beginning were just this little person in large frames. A lot of it was about framing. And then some, some designs of building from the 60s, 50s, 60s, like really spectacular workspaces before the 80s when people started bringing their, their home life to work. And sort of transforming the office space and you know when hr took over and it was like no you stay here longer and bring your family and put some plants in and live here um so it's more like offices based on that and then um playtime the movie playtime really ben and i were like i just we i mentioned playtime and he was like oh my god exactly i had some of the reference in it which is a 60s film by jacques tati and it's every set is fabricated everything is slightly false like a lot of the extras in the background are cardboard cutouts like they're in, it's all intentionally designed that way. And it just felt like the show instantly had to have this really succinct vibe on its own, like a really particular pristine um, visual, especially the underground world, especially like what would it be? It's also because Dan wrote something that was so interesting because it's experimental, which means I could experiment on the characters and the actors. So it gave us all kind of a license to play with everyone. Like it was a very playtime thing. So I was like, what could I do with all of these people? How could I make, what, what, what could I set up for them? Like the desk was the big thing because it just said in the script, you know, desk with four chairs, you know, or two, four desks with chairs and in a big room. So like the slide up and down, that was something you guys came up with? Yeah, I just like, I was, you know, I'd done so many desks in my life and usually they're really hard to shoot around the dividers. And normally I always build them and cheat them lower. And I was like, wait, what if they... I think they should be interactive. Like I kept, I, as soon as I knew John Chichero was in it and I was like, oh my God, he's going to have so much fun. What can I give these people something to play with? Cause they're really, there, just looking at numbers. And, and um, so I kind of just wanted to build this desk that was interactive for them, that they could control it and they could just push it down with a finger or push it and it would come back up like really, really gently. Um, so some of the design came out of what I could do to the characters because they're rats and, you know, in a lab, what what do we want to do with them? How do we want to play with them? And then also, how much is it fun to watch? You know, it's just the experimental part of it and like colors and how it was, what is comfortable, what's not comfortable, how the hallways go forever and how at the beginning they're they're narrow. And as the farther you go out into the world, in, in their world underground, they get wider and wider and wider. So it always feels like there's you're going through different spaces. I mean, I first asked Dan, 
one of the first questions I asked him was how far underground does this go? This, this maze or this, and he said, Oh, for miles, like underneath the whole town, it goes like for as far as you could imagine, and which was so fun. <laughs> and then there was, you know, how to create like claustrophobia, how to make you feel like it's also some of the design too. Like it's, it's like when you're watching it, you kind of feel like you're with them. Like you feel a little bit confined. Sometimes the break room was one that I love. Like it was like, it was written that, you know, Helly's watching something on a monitor. And I was like, what if she's at a table and it's projected onto her face? Like it's, I want to see it burned into her face. Like she's looking and reading off this glass screen and the images are right on her face, like being, you know, permeated into her skull while Milchik watches her. And the nice thing is he can see her, but she, she can't visually see him through it. It's just too bright. So it was just sort of, and they were just fun things to do. Like how much more can we visually make this story um, interesting to watch um, and infer things. So, you know, beyond what the actors are going to say. So even like from smaller details, like the finger traps and the cube that lights up, was that in the script or were those? those are, of- yeah, that's Dan. Those are in the script. Like Mark, that's one of the first thing I left when the, we all were like, we had to order some test cubes because we had to see them. We just, we took a picture of Mark. Um, or Adam Scott, or, <laughs> we just took a picture of him and sent it off just to see, and it came back and we couldn't stop laughing. So <laughs> no, all those little things like the watermelon party, the waffles, the, uh, that's all Dan that's in his head. Like he, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> well, and even the hallway, like as they walk and one light comes on after another, yeah. like between that, which is almost like continuous. And then Um, anybody watching, obviously spoiler alerts, hardcore here, but, uh, the, the, the episode where the, the wellness person is going down the hall Mm -hmm. and it's just this long, dark tunnel. I mean, like huge twin peaks fan here. And so for me, at least I immediately felt like this was another Mr. Robot for me because there were so many different threads and there was so much specificity for each character and what was coming out in them from not just their histories, but how they remembered their histories and kind of the little dangling threads. But then, you know, I'm excited to talk to Jess too, just because of how certain angles were shot and the inferences that can be made. But like, you know, even, even the difference of their lives for, when we see Adam Scott, you know, his Audi at home, it's honestly not much different from his innie and kind of the calm, sterilized environment that he was in. But then when you go with Irv home and to his environment and it's like hard punk metal, whereas his innie is very compliance oriented, like Tell me how you kind of broke. I mean, and we, I don't even know how you get into how we are without spoilers, but like. Well, I mean, a lot of that is actually Dan's writing too. That's kind of the who, you know, each one he's written. And, you know, with Cobell has multiple personalities. You know, at one time it was up to, I think we were talking about there was five of them. I mean, some of them they'll have, you know. Um, yeah, it's just, it's just Dan. It is. I mean, Marx is interesting because the lighting is, he's always quite dark and he's quite, you know, he drinks, he's quite depressed. He's quite sullen. He's always very, you know, so that's the main contrast is that it's just, he's very dark. When he sees Petey as their Audis, how did that kind of change? How did you like put him in an environment where so much of it was early communicated. Like obviously the scene at the gas station where that's kind of the end, but 
you know, he's in this dilapidated like greenhouse and then he's in Mark's basement. Um, you know, especially when he was in Mark's basement, there's just a lot of texture and inferences that could be brought out for what is going on inside Mark, but then obviously how Petey just naturally fit in there. What was I mean, that one? Mark's was interesting because Mark's house is completely empty. Everything's in the basement. He's not, he's not packed any of it because he can't handle not having his wife. So he it's literally all there. Like upstairs, he has what a table chair is a lamp and a, maybe a fish. And he really, it's, it's funny. It's, it's it was written like that. It's all downstairs and you're surrounded by his life when you're down there with Petey is super interesting. And that's when you start to, you know, see some of the little, the little eggs that come out. Mm-hmm. Helly R is wicked. It's just, I mean, to begin with, like, there's so many layers there because I also want to talk about like Kier's, the replica of Kier's house just being underground there. And, you know, she is, her innie is so very well put together. Like there are even costumes that I see that I'm like, that, that was tailored within the millimeter of her that there's so many things that I feel like anybody could normally assume, you know, just from that visual representation, but how much of that was kind of discussed any continuity between whatever physical representation she could be. And then also walking into Kier's house and Mm -hmm. then into the finale, like, was there any kind of buildup or, Easter eggs or if you will, for that. I mean, that's probably more, are you going to interview Sarah for this? You should, cause she's amazing. The costume designer. She's fantastic. And the, what's interesting thing is Sarah's job was to interview her. Helly introduces all the new colors to the show. So basically you're like, you know, in MDR you're green and white and that's it. It's green floor, white walls. And every time Helly comes in, she has new colors and she's the, she's the mood instiller. Like she's the one that, you know, can really bring something quite magical to the show. And it's a lot of it's, and it is her and her wardrobe, her hair. Um, I mean, she's definitely, you know, how special she is all the time. How, uh, tell me about some of the exteriors. How did you guys find, or I, and forgive me, I, I don't know where all you guys shot, but like always that opening with like, to me, what looks like the PDX in Colorado, like the underground, you know, prison. And it's set up to look like a, you know, an office environment, but that to then even, even the birthing centers and things like that, what were you guys looking for? Um, Kind of, how did you go about finding those places? I mean, when we first started, it was, so I, there was a, there's a place called the, it's in Illinois, it's um, John Deere's headquarters, which was designed by Yara Saarinen and Ken Roche, which is like the most amazing. It's John Deere, yes, tractors, but they're, the taste of level of that office is mind blowing. So I had that as my original reference for the interior for some of the stuff, because it was so pristine and Ken Adams was an amazing interior designer, just had the right feel. And then when I got to, we shot in New York in the Bronx, I live in LA. When I got there, it was brought up that we could, there was a possibility that Bell Labs, which is in New Jersey could become a possible location. It, it was a, an amazing building that Saarinen designed for Bell Labs with Ken Roche and, you know, thousands of people worked there. They designed the microchip for the cell phone, the first satellite, the first rate, like they developed so many things there. And it was a whole community-based office. that's massive. 
Um, and that's the exterior of, of the offices and it's amazing. Um, so we saw that and that was kind of the base for, you know, it just worked for the exterior and the interior it was so this kind it had the scale of the company of Lumen, like how big is this place? This place is, I mean, he's very an Elon Musk slash Steve Jobs kind of character. You know, that's the whole company is when you can, um, when you have this kind of cash flow, what you can get it, what you could do is pretty funny. Um, so the building had to look like it had presence and power. And then, um, and then after that, it was just a lot of scouting. I think Mark's place, we looked at, I think I scouted 80 places for Mark's house because it was just like totally has had to be visually interesting. When I first saw it, it was like, oh, it's blue. It's cold. It's in a so hill. Those, it's in every houses. Is yeah. that, that practical? Yeah. That's a, that's a Nyack and it's fantastic. And so his exterior, but what, what was cool is, a lot of them, you know, they're, they're, you know, everything's symmetrical. They're all the same and everything underground is symmetrical. But Mark's is, if you look at that location, every one of them, they're the same looking, but they're totally different. Like it's almost like chaos, which is sort of Mark's brain. It was like, he's fractured. Like it looks, Cobell's and his, they're side by side, but they're like, hers is like half the size, but it's not, it's underground. It's deeper because it's in a hill. Everything just looked the same, but different, which was super funny. And it also had the spectacular view of, of uh, the river and stuff. So we knew we could replace the background. So he'd always have a view to Lumen. We'd build the town and visual effects in the background with the, you know, um, the water tower and stuff. So it was, that was, um, it, but it was instantly when we saw it, it was like, wow, this is it. This is Mark. And it, it had all the things that made it feel like corporate housing that is designed for someone. Cause there it's, once again, this is all experimental. Like everyone in that building, in that, in that facility could be, another test subject that, you know, another severed person or whatever is going on. Um, and then a lot of it was just like hard scouting. Like, and I, I, I and I did know from really early on, I remember I really wanted a Frank Lloyd Wright house for Rick and, and Devin. I just, because there's Pleasantville, which is an up in, in North of, of the Bronx. And um, I just felt like they were like, he was the perfect pretentious person that would have a Frank Lloyd Wright house. And so we went to scout Pleasantville and we like, it's a neighborhood of like 80 esque, um, very frankly, right houses or his descendants. And we saw one amazing house. We saw three that were spectacular and the original owner still lived in one. He was 26 when he commissioned this building, his, his house, when he commissioned Franklin Wright himself at 26 years old to build his house, his, for his house that he's lived in for 70 years. And it was funny because he also worked at Bell Labs. Like everything kind of clicked and went, wow, these are the same people. And, but I also knew like had to be, their place had to be really warm and, and once again, pristine. And um, like, cause they're so pretentiously perfect. It's so funny. Um, so it's, you know, just lots of legwork, a lot of hunting. Well, you mentioned VFX and for the town and as a post-production house, I'm a little obsessed with that. Like there's just so much anymore that you would have no idea is VFX. I want to start with a little bit of what I would think, you know, obvious when they're coming down or going up in the elevator and they morph, you know, that's, that's some camera tricks VFX, but how did you shoot things like that? And, or the hallways were the hallways extended were those like set extenders. How, what were some of the VFX that just, you know, I mean, the, the elevator was amazing because the elevator is practical. That's a robotic rig and it's a camera move that's like 20 feet in less than a second. So it's actually all optical. There's no visual effects in that shot. 
Um, it's a great shot. That was just playing around for like a long time. That's a lot of, it's because it was like, what's the most subtle, like, how do we, f- we know that he's going through this and it's like, what's this? And it's so subtle, but I mean, it's such a long optical move. Um, the hallways we built, we built hundreds of feet of hallways, but there's always that extension at the end of each and to change, to switch some of them out, they'd always pop up, you know, white, I made it that you could click out a white wall and always add green. You could always add, you know, you could always extend anywhere we go. Um, Cause the, but we definitely built on one stage. There's it's like, must be 200, 300 feet of, of hallway that literally interacts through a lot of the sets. Like it goes around MDR, it passes by the break room, it passes by wellness, it connects to the boardroom, it connects to the observation room, the hall staircase. So they were all kind of connected to it, but they also have a lot of jags just for absolutely no reason. Like you can go down 20 feet and it goes left and it goes left for five feet and then it goes again. And it's so you can constantly feel like, and because a lot of these scenes were sometimes they're two minutes long of, of Mark walking or them talking. So it ha- a lot of it has to be practical, but you could turn a corner and then we could make, but I'm like, sometimes you can make that hallway look like it's a mile long, which obviously you could never do. So a lot of it was just augmentation, a lot of visual effects augmentation, a lot of cleanup, like the exterior of Lumens has a lot of trees now because it was built, you know, 50 years ago and it has, whole, they've sold a lot of the land off. So there's houses everywhere. We, we stripped it all the way to what it would have looked like originally. Um, I wanted most of the trees taken away because they, they kind of obscured a lot of the facade and the glass. So there's tons and tons of cleanup, a lot in every shot. And, then, and painting on all the cars, because we we're really particular that the cars had to be, you know, I didn't want any reds. There were certain colors we never wanted to see in the show, um, especially on, you know, in those environments. It was always like, you know, and and also nothing new, like the cars, like Cobell drives a you know, an 82 golf and he drives an older Volvo and everything wanted to be slightly like, I don't really know the time period of this exactly outside the phones, everything's like, he's got a flip, Peter's got a flip phone. Like we were trying to play with it that because sometimes those things really peg me and they make me think about something, especially in like, say five years, if you watch this, you're like, you, it dates itself. And we, I wanted it to really be dateless. Like you could always watch this and never really think about when it, it it's not, that relevant you know it's contemporary but you don't care and i like and i like that about it but the aesthetics um and it's also some of it you get to pick it because you like it yeah like oh i like the shape i like the look of that and i think that's a great character and just helping create characters for the characters is fun well even skipping ahead to like the overtime contingency in that like machine room if you will I mean, that, that looked practical and that looked like a lot of, you know, bells and whistles to kind of construct or do, or like, right. That come from. I mean, a lot of it still is like, we, like, we still love the tube TVs. Like even on the computers, we still tried to keep it kind of like that feeling of like, you know, being watched or newness and the tubes and like, it just feels like it. It's sexier to look at. It's more fun. And it's more, you know, I find there's something, um, you know, the computers was one thing I, what I thought was originally too, was everything has to be designed and built by Lumen Undergrounds because no one really can know what they're doing. If you, if they were ordering from Amazon every day, everyone would be like, wonder what they're building there. So it's basically like they're fabricating everything themselves. Their computers are their own, their, their keypads, their, everything should be Lumen, their branding, their food, the snacks has to be Lumen, 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 Lumen. So that no one can, because we don't know if there's 10,000 people underground or a, we don't know. I don't even know. 
So it's sort of fun to, if you fabricated all of that, and the one thing I loved too was like the computers were a great one with the screens. It's it's a CRT screen, but we also made it a touch screen. There's a way you can put a filament on it. You could touch it and control it like a new monitor. But And the keypads are interactive. We built those and we built the program in the computer that you can control it. You can actually move those. You can do stuff. So the actors each had their own way of whatever they wanted to do it. They, could, they were in it. They could do stuff. And a lot of that was like, one, it gives, it's fun for them to watch. It's fun for them to play. But also if, if someone ever came out in an episode, they're like, you know, oh, I was doing, I work at this computer. If you had to explain to somebody in the real world, what you were doing, no one would believe you be like, that's the, it doesn't make sense. So it's sort of like trying to create things that were not plausible, but plausible. Do you know what I mean? And, and so it just, we had so many ways of playing in this show that you don't get to do that. You never get to do and it's all, it all comes down to the writing that it's an open door always. Like there's no, like every show I've ever done, we always make rules and we made rules in this and then we broke every one of them because there are no rules in this show. You could be your, you know, your best friend could be your lover underground. You don't, anything can happen down there, which was so hilarious. Yeah. Well, so did you have all nine scripts before you began creating the world with them or no? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I knew the jet, I knew what the shows were going to be in each episode. I knew, but I, and I, I knew like, but some things I, you know, I knew episode seven was going to be a dance party, but I didn't know. So I knew like I had to design a set that would eventually have to have some interesting lighting effects in it. You know, how does the ceiling play? Like a lot of it, it's like, it's like a re- the ceiling is like a reverse dance floor. It just is. It's sort of like it's Saturday night fever upside down. And so it kind of, we knew things like that, but some stuff changed um, a lot, you know, changed definitely as the writing went on. I think I'm trying to think now, like, yeah, I, I, I knew the general rules and scripts, but no, they definitely, things always change as they do. I mean, how many of you were just sitting around playing the Stanley parable and seeing what kind of craziness you could get into and how it all ended? Everyone. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone. Everyone. You know, it's funny, like, um, because the way the show was done, I designed most of it before and during COVID, the really big part. So I wasn't really there when they shot a lot of it because I didn't return because I couldn't go back to New York. Um, So some of it's even a surprise to me. It's so funny how it changed and but it's um, the language of the show and the tone really, it was funny because even they had this Q&A on the weekend and I heard all the actors talk and everyone's word is tone, tone, tone. What is the tone? Everyone read it like, what is the tone? And it's really the collection of all these people that came, like the tone of how to make it um, as odd as it is and as fun as it is and playful. I mean, the score, the composer did an amazing job. The sound is amazing. Like, there's all those things that blow me away, even after I've done my thing and then the actors and the wardrobe. And then you hear the sound design and, and see those opening credits. And it was, um, it really is one of the best I think I've seen in years where everyone really got the show and it worked, which is just rare. Everyone can get the show and push it, but sometimes it's just, there's the chemistry doesn't work, but this one, the chemistry worked. Yeah. That main title design. Oh my God. Yeah, he's a guy from Germany we never met. I only I only um dealt with him by email. We found him online. We loved his work and we sent him an email about doing it. And then I sent him a little, I made a little lookbook for him as what the show was to look like. And then he created that. It was so beautiful. It was amazing. So cool. I've always done lookbooks that it's everything as it comes and gets locked into the book. So there's no 
Like I, I didn't know that or, oh, I'm surprised. Oh, there's no surprise. It's right there. It basically shows early reference to all the drawings, to all the layouts, to the ground layouts, to all the package design, the computer design. From beginning to end, you can just see how the show is that book. It just is. Um, And you really, everyone, the nice thing too, is everyone on the show that's like wardrobe, everyone that's working on it can really start to, it's, it's really connected. And I think the book really helps with them. making sure that everybody's on the same line, the lighting, everything's in the book. And you can really, you know, with all the different, you know, we had four concept artists who just worked for months and months and months. There's so many drawings. A lot of people come onto shows and they just don't know what it's going to look like because they don't have that access to those. And it costs a lot of money. You know, it's a lot of money to put that together, but, and crew. And so it's, it's, but it's definitely for something like this, it's so strange like the sets were so particular. I don't know how, I don't think you could do it without this kind of visualization. It really is like a massive previs for the whole look of the show. Well, I was actually just going to ask that. Did you guys do previs like in a game engine or anything like that? Um, we, I didn't do any of Unreal on this. I definitely will hopefully on the next season do some Unreal because it's so helpful. Um, okay. And it's, it's getting a lot more accessible. Um, I'm not sure how many people know it yet. Or have learned it. No, we do that for Ted Lasso, the Umbrella Academy, for right. like a bunch of different ones. And it's been really interesting for us to see like we have some people where it's like we just want it for stunt coordination and choreo- like choreography. The Umbrella Academy is very heavy on tech viz because they built the academy and then could LIDAR it. So right. they can like take out columns or they can, you know, figure out which camera for which one. And then For Lasso, it's all about cameras and movements of how to capture things from where and also how to combine different set pieces to look like they're in the one place. I mean, it's definitely it's the future. And it's it's, I think it's just economically, it's so helpful because we all have such a, you know, there's the bag of money and it's just so nice to not have to burn the bag of money a lot. You know, the five years, even two years ago, you would have had to do stuff and everyone would have changed it. They'd walk in and be like, can you make it smaller? Can you make like everything in it is drawn and digital and you get to be, and I also, I'm a fan of models. We still build practical models. We built a model of every set and it's the best way to have a conversation with anyone, especially when you're building on stage that many sets, there's stages and stages of sets is the gaffer, the grip, everyone can, it's the easiest way for anyone to understand the size of it. You see people like the MDR, you see this huge model with all the, and here's little people and everybody immediately understands the scale, which scales the most important thing in my job. And, and, and to me in filmmaking is scale. And um, so, yeah, they're definitely, it's, it's, I, um, yeah, illustrations. I totally believe in unreal. I think it's amazing. And then, uh, and still old school models, which a lot of people don't want to spend the money to do. They're not that expensive, but they are so practical because you can carry it into an empty soundstage and go, this is what we're building in here. There's, and it's, if anyone can't understand that, they shouldn't be in film. <laughs> it's so, cause it's, it's literally a five-year-old. It's like, it's so easy. It's tactile and you can't say, I don't understand. It's right there in front of you. It's such a great way to work. Can you tell me anything about the Heliar uh, elevator sequence in like, I have to imagine there were conversations about that and, you know, because obviously then everything comes with the warnings and, you know, oh, when she's going to die, you mean? The one she hangs herself? Yeah. Yeah. Like, how did I mean, you guys... 
I mean, it was, it's obviously written like that. I thought the funniest was that I wanted the doors to be in the walls. You never really saw the doors that they wanted to like, there's always like the get smart version of doors. And I remember like one of the doors to just be in the walls and they come out like this, like, but they, you can't, they're embedded into the wall, into the walls. And, um, and then the, you know, the red lights go on. Like it was also just <laughs> um, visually, it was such a great way to play in that set. Like it was huge. Um, but terrifying. It's pretty, pretty, it's a crazy scene. I mean, that was uh, Grainer, like to that point, I remember that was to me, one of the most striking shots when you see him around the corner. And I was like, there's corners, you know, like, you know, there's corners, but like, he just came out of what was like flat and charging yeah. down the hall, but in slow motion. And then you have the, the real shot coming at them, but like, everything from the cord and the specificity of the can. And you never actually see her go through that process of like deliberation and looking for stuff. It just happens. And then even the drop ceilings and it's all in this tiny little space. It was, I mean, the beauty of working with Ben Stiller is Ben is the hardest working director. He works so hard he, and he wants to know everything. There's no wing in it with Ben. There's no showing up going, well, it's, you talk about it a lot every day for hours about every little detail. Ben cares about the button that's on a shirt. Like he cares about the stitching, he cares about everything. Um, so a lot of that's just a lot of, it's just hard work and communication, a lot of communication. Here's a great little thing. I, I didn't know this. Heli um, R told us a great thing on Saturday night at the, at the Q and A. I didn't know this. So see, when she has to, you know, she tries to cut her hands off with the, uh, the cutter, the paper cutter. Yeah. I guess she was, she's terrified of paper cutters. So she didn't, couldn't do the scene. So they had, so what the props people cat, my props master, who's amazing. She actually had one made without a blade on it. So she could carry it around at home and everywhere she went to get used to it. And they, and they asked her to name it. So she became friends with it so that she could learn to cut her ass. Oh <laughs> really like, that's the detail of the show went to all the time, all the time. Oh like enough that it became her friend. <laughs> I mean, the way she holds it and the way she presents herself at that desk, like, yeah, they looked pretty cozy and she looked pretty committed. So Isn't that funny. Like that's yeah. like that kind of stuff is just what this show had everybody's attention and the same dedication of, of um, perfection because it just, it, it's just in the, you see it. It's everyone. I'm, I'm so blessed that we all got to do it together. It worked. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of, and I hope this is as exciting as I feel like it might be, but can you tell me about Christopher Walken and all of the paintings? Like, did you get to have a, a part in that? Like, was somebody actually painting these paintings? Like, Oh, the Irving paintings? Uh, oh, no, or the, when, well, the MDR, or sorry, the yeah, O&D yeah. ones. Yeah, so, so those were, those were freaking hard. Um, so originally those are all in the script dan wrote insanely detailed versions of each each painting is so specific of what he wants to portray and say there's not there's no wing in it in the art at all the look of them there was no description of what they look like it was just what's happening in the scene here in a cave with the blah 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 and so we we really started off the beginning which was okay what do these paintings look like what is the style of each one What's the lighting of each one? Like Jessica was, the DP was really involved. We all talked a lot about the paintings. And then I used a digital artist in New York called uh, Hugh Sakoti. And he's a, he's a, um, a concept artist, but 
the easiest, the fastest way for I've done paintings a lot and they're re, you can't do a real painting and wait to see what it looks like. It's, it would take you five years to go. Yeah. Everyone agrees on this. So we did them all digitally during COVID for about three months. We were all remote and we just, every day he would do revisions and revisions. And we, six of us would talk about them eight and Dan and Ben. And it was all, it was about, okay, how does in three seconds, does this tell us what we need to know? But also later when people freeze frame this, does it tell them a lot more? There's a lot of story in them. Um, all the work was done digitally just to get everyone on the same page. And, and just, there's no surprises because an artist can go so much, you know, you wait a week and you come back and you're like, Oh my God, that's not what I thought. And it looks like at all. <laughs> and it's not anyone's fault. It's just what artists do. So, but digital artists are trained to, and they're also, because it's, it's so fast digital artists are really good about like letting go of something. If it's like, you don't read to it, they don't, it's not offensive. Or if you have someone paint by hand, they can get really offended because it's their work. So I couldn't think of another way to do it. It was a really long process. I think it was the hardest thing to do on the show with those paintings. And originally I designed O and D set to have a lot of, a lot of paintings exposed. Like I wanted all these rolling walls that came up, like they came out of the walls that had hundreds more like there were so many paintings they started to get crazy which they never did because you'd never have time but they um that history of Kier through the artwork is such a that's Dan's idea that's such a great idea I mean I'm an art lover and so I just thought to myself like okay if this is supposed to there's supposed to be so many of these paintings like that had to have been remarkably time consuming and yeah. it just it landed so well though but uh I also thought like, my God, did you really build Kier's house? Was that like an actual set or? You know, that was a, that's a, a really, uh, this is the beauty of filmmaking. I love like a lot of sets are on stage. We have some great locations and then it's like, okay, we have this massive idea. Okay. There's Kier's house. There's inside Kier's, there's the museum. Well, how will, we didn't have a stage for it. We'd run out of stage space. We're like, how are we going to do this? We're not going to get those stages. And then we saw this location, this museum in the Bronx that has this period house in a beautiful open grassy area connected to a brutalist building. I'm like, that's amazing. What if it's underground? And it's like, it's very Charlie Kaufman-esque, like, which I love. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's, so we literally, within a day, we just did a quick rendering to see, show here it is underground. And I was like, that's amazing. And okay, how do we light it then? How do we... It was just, it's a, it's just the classic, you know, fun manipulation of filmmaking. It's, it's really is like, you couldn't build that set. It would cost $2 million or more, but we could, do, and it's really just visual effects. We put a roof over it and they come out of the building and they walk across this beautiful grassy lawn into this house. And then that's the inside of a real location. Amazing. It worked. It was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, I think just kind of wrapping things up, are you guys having those conversations now for season two? Like I started my, it's my first day today. Really? Oh my golly. Okay. Today's day I, I don't have the restraint to not ask. I can't even tell you how much I've been laughing all morning. I've been giggling all week. I just, it's so funny. And uh, yeah, we're all excited to get back and start, you know, seeing where we go from here. It's so fun. So much Intel in the show in his head. It's insane. I mean, right, but that's that's kind of a showrunner's, you know, creator's job is you are the Wikipedia for all these lives that you're responsible for. And in a lot of ways, this is very much like a Sims. 
because you know what's it's cool about this show is because this show's not it's like there's so rare that you go this isn't knocked off of anything like it's so crazy original that he just and then you ask him a question and he's got nine different ways to go it's like and they're all they're not I mean, he's not he's already thought about it this is 10 years he's been thinking about this show he first started writing in 2013 working in the basement of a garage door store in Orange County underground he worked in a company where he wrote this underground thinking about how could I not be here and remember that I had to work here and that's where it started but he has all these like you can ask him anything and he'll be like well maybe this or this or this or this or this and they're all hilarious and fantastic and and the way they link together it's just it's unbelievable like he really is I asked him one of the, you know, the first two months I said, Dan, you got to draw me a map of the underground and don't draw a map that you want it to be. Just draw what you think it is in your head. Just, just, just sketch it out. Like, like really rough and don't just, and it was hilarious. It was amazing. It was like circles and it was absolute chaos. And it was, it's like that made the show so interesting for all of us that we could really go, wow, he really knows it all. It's like, it's crazy. I do my best as a host to not like ruin things. I think something like this is absolutely a war shack in the cultural zeitgeist. Like it's going to be what you say it is. Yeah. Uh, there's for sure the intentions that everybody is putting forward, but in something like this, something like twin peaks, something even like Mr. Robot, a lot of it has more to do with what you're taking away. Right. And the choices that you guys make to deliver a piece of artwork like yeah. this, they're incredible, but also it's up to you. These are the people you're investing your time and energy into. For me, and for the last five years, I've heard from so many producers or shows or interview, and they're like, you know, it's everybody just watches this on their phone. It's not that important. This doesn't have to look, do you really have to build that? Do you really have to? And I'm like, it's what I do. It's I'm a production editor. Like if my whole life I've, I can give you a million references of why that, why is Blade Runner the best looking thing ever? Because it's dedication to its look. Why is Alien 1 spectacular? Because the set is spectacular. The cast, but the set is mind blowing. So why aren't, so people, if things that have to last, they have to have visually, they have to be really, really fucking good. And mm -hmm. this was a time when it's like, it. when Ben and I met and I showed him the book and he like, they're immediately attracted to him. Like, oh my God, this is the right person to do this with. Cause he's, he's the same. He wants the same thing. And it's really hard to get, you know, that, even the first season, it's really hard to push people, studios, everyone to be on board that this is a, this gotta be amazing. And now I think thankfully this show I've done more interviews for I've ever than I've ever done for anything I've ever done because people love the show. They love the look of the show. They love how they felt about the show. And I think that's just, Hopefully that shows, you know, there's a lot of great looking shows, but there's a lot of not great looking shows. And I think I hope it helps that everyone realizes, you know what, your game's got to be higher and it can, people can do it. They just, they need the money to do it. They need the time to do it and they need the support to do it because it's, it's what we as viewers want. We want this stuff. I mean, this is, this is the exact example of put money on the screen. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it was not cheap. And it's a and it it looks it, and it's worth it. Everyone's, you know, it's probably, I think it's Apple's best show. I think the caliber of TV and the opportunity that that people are being given in this new wild wild west is just such a great chance to be weird and authentically true to a vision. And 
I would just say, I hope you guys continue doubling down on it. Like nobody's business. I don't think, I think the thing is the beauty is everyone expects it. So they, no one will. It's like, it's like, that's what's expected of the show now, which is actually awesome. I can't imagine I've tried uh, the end game of this show. I feel like the, the last, you know, episode nine was, you know, a good peek at where it could and might go, but having watched the preceding eight, we don't know crap. I know that. So you don't know anything. I don't know. Um, I'm learning it. It was a long way to go. <laughs> this is awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jeremy. Thank appreciate you coming on. Again.